Welcome to Millennial Pagan Podcast, the podcast that's quickly becoming a voice to the growing number of pagan millennials and our brand of witchcraft, magic, practice, and worship. We're your hosts, Autumn Wolf and Jarrah Stone. How you doing, Autumn? Hi, I'm doing great. Good. How are you? Doing pretty good. I know you uh, you started your new business venture. I did my new job. Yes. How's yeah. that? How's that going for you? Uh, well, I've only had one day, so get back to me later. Okay. How are you doing? Doing pretty good. It's coming close to a couple of candles on a cake for you. Oh, yeah. Getting older. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Oh, like, like I said, older. 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 Okay. Turn, turning turning the big 3-3. Three, three. Ooh. Yeah. Ah, so old. Yeah, 47 years old. Uh-huh. Wait. No. Wait, you're not a millennial then. Oh, uh. Get I'm, out of my studio. I mean, 22. <laughs> okay, you're, there we you're, go. Your studio. Yeah. Well, oh, it is your <laughs> garage. Yes. So, we're... We actually have a guest who we're being slightly rude to. How about you go ahead and introduce our guest? Okay. Well, uh, let's see. So joining us today is Carol Brown. I want to say welcome. And how, how are you doing? I'm doing good. I'm really excited to be here. I know we made this appointment like weeks ago and I was like, I can't wait. <laughs> I mean, that, that's that's usually how uh, how podcasts happen is, you know, there's uh, there's the setup phase and then the waiting period. Yeah. It's like, yeah, it's like the military, like get there and wait. Hurry yeah. up and wait, hurry up and wait. Yeah. yeah, or the way that I have is, are you free on this date? Fantastic, I will talk to you a week before then. So it's like, um, two weeks later, here's a bunch of questions. Oh, here's a bunch of answers. Okay, see you then. <laughs> we're, we're, we're glad that you actually responded to us in a, in a timely manner and all that, and to, to get it set up. I mean, it was probably one of the easier uh, shows we were able to, to get going. Why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and uh, what, what, what you do. Well, my name is Carol Brown. I am a 34-year-old special education teacher out here in the state of Arizona. I have been out here since 2005. It's very exciting. Um, you know, I've been uh, I've been a pagan, I think, since I was probably like eight. Oh. Yeah, I've been mm. a pagan for a really long time. I grew up in a what we what I call a Jerry Springer family, you know, family drama, everything. And at one point, like, my, uh, my birth mother got it into her brain to just go religion shopping. So I've been baptized about six times. Oh. Yeah, and I've wow. gone through the education process for each of those. But mm-hmm. when I was eight, we ended up talking to like a coven, and I actually really liked the coven. And I got to know them, and I really liked the practices, and they made, mostly they made sense to me. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And then I got yanked out of that, and I had to go live with my grandmother, who's like a Methodist. Oh. And she was not having any of that. No. <laughs> right. Amen. But um, a little while later, my dad ended up coming to rescue me, and he had me come live with him. And so he and I had a conversation about religion because he wanted to know. And he's he's not, like, he believes in something, but he's not a person to go to a building or anything like that. And I was like, well, Daddy, I think I'm, you know, I think I'm pagan. He's like, okay, well, you're pagan. And that was pretty much the conversation. So, you know, he was really accepting of it. He The only thing he asked me not to do was, like, sacrifice goats in the house. So, <laughs> Well, that, that's reasonable. Goats are expensive. They yeah, take up yeah. a lot of space. You know, bloodstains are hard to get out of the carpet. Yeah. Yes, yes, they yeah. are. Yeah, it's just hard. So. so one of the reasons that we did ask you here today is that, um, from what I have been informed, is that you are a practicing druid. Mm-hmm. You are an artist. Uh, you do read some tarot, and you're working on a fiction book. So my first question, I guess, is once you got into um, your dad's home, did you look for a new group or go back to the original coven? Um, no. So when I went to go live with my dad, he was actually stationed out in uh, England. Oh. And yeah. So I was... There weren't really any covens. It was just kind of like, you know, your pagans are there. That was pretty yeah. much the mentality for it. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes they go to Stonehenge, sometimes they don't. <laughs> um 
And uh, my mom at the time, she, you know, she was like, I can't take you anywhere. And I don't really want you to join a coven because I don't know these people. You know, she was, you know, she was very protective. And so it was just kind of a private practice for me. And I didn't actually try and join a group until I moved out here to Arizona. I met somebody uh, totally by chance. Like I, I literally walked into a store and I couldn't stop looking at him. Like it was just like what, like somebody like grabbing your, your face to look in a direction. Mm-hmm. So I went, I introduced myself and I was like, I don't know why, but I have to talk to you. Right. And so he was a practicing druid and he, you know, he and I got started talking and then he was kind of like, you know, we should probably just work together and I can educate you a little bit more. And, you know, through that time, he taught me a lot about druidism and that made a lot more sense because before I was in the the pagan Wiccan bracket and then the druidism. And by the end of like the, you know, the, I don't want to call them seminars, but by the end of the mentorship, he kind of told me that you're more of like a, a shaman druid. Mm-hmm. because druids usually like to talk about like balance of nature and things like that where shamans usually like to talk to spirits and so on and so forth okay. so yeah so that's kind of that's not like the hard definition but that's definitely like a distinction between the two so mm-hmm. and the other part is like within druidry there's uh there are three brackets you've got your druids who are more like your scholars your educators things like that you've got your bards who are the creative they're your poets they play music they do all that and then you've got your ovates and ovates are kind of like your head witches your mythicals they read tea leaves all that stuff so and i didn't really fall into any of that so to speak so okay so within your um practice you said that you're more shaman because you work with spirits are there specific spirits you constantly work with no like so it's it's really I think the really difficult thing about like my my career choice is that I can't venture out so to speak I can't go and I can't talk to people I can't network I can't do anything like that because unfortunately in this particular area it's very very quick to to take repercussions on teachers if they you know come out a certain way mm-hmm. so like like I don't know if you guys know this but anytime that the state decides that they're going to plant a new school down within a week before that site is being built a Methodist church will already be up <laughs> Like, they already have a church right up across the street from it. So that really? way the kids can go do seminar. Yeah. So they, like, at my school that I work with, they have a they have a seminar period. And it's literally where they go to the church across the street and they do Bible study. So I did not know that. I did not know that either. I even asked, like, so is there, like, a pagan version of this? And they're like, no, why would we do that? I was like, I'm just curious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's a public school. Yeah. In the county of Maricopa. Yeah. There's a lot that do that. Yeah. So. Oh. That's actually kind of, um, I don't want to say disheartening, but. Disconcerning? Ca- disconcerning. Yeah. Disconcerning. <laughs> yeah. And a lot of my meetings usually start with like, well, we're LDS. And I'm like, that that means nothing to me right now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So do you have specific deities that you work with or does that kind of fall under the same? You know, it kind of, it kind of depends. Like there's definitely like a couple that I focus on. Oddly enough. Ratatosker, the, uh, the the gossip squirrel of North mythology, usually like is always scrabbling in the back of my brain a lot. Uh, so is Loki, and occasionally the Morgan, you know, mm-hmm. kind of comes and makes an appearance. But it's not it's not the Morgan in like the singular fi- figure. It's like the one from older back, you know, when it was three sisters instead of one person. So right. that's usually the one that I see. So yeah. uh, do you do any kind of magic in your personal practice, and what kind? So that kind of goes back to the shamanism because one mm-hmm. of the things that shamanisms try or shamans try to do is that they work with like healing. So it's about and sometimes healing involves um, 
very difficult conversations. You know, it's, you know, it's trying to, to mend something that's broken. That's partly why I actually chose my profession because there's a lot of people that are hurting within the group that I work with. And so I try to heal them, but I don't try and be like, you know, very obviously like I'm trying to heal you right now, but right. you know, it's, it's more like a, a calming presence an open ear, you know, trying to help. There's actually a lot of um, shamans that work in psychology. Mm-hmm. You know, there's one that I know that's very open about it. She does uh, drum meditations with her patients to help them lead them through guided meditations and things like that so but yeah shamans usually like to be they're kind of like ovates but they're more they're more like healers in the spiritual sense so yeah so what what would you say is um one of the biggest helps to you in doing this for for the for the people that you teach one of the, I think one of the bigger helps is because the, the students that I work with, their lives are extremely chaotic. They're chaotic in here, they're chaotic here, and it's chaotic everywhere else too. Mm-hmm. A lot of them don't have a sense of control, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of times they don't have the confidence to do what it is that they need to do. So partly what I do is, you know, from like I said, from a distance is I try to build up that confidence from the inside. I try to help them through emotional turmoil. You know, like more than one time I've had like a kid run into my room crying about something, and so like, you know, we take small steps, I do little back rubs and I try to like you know send them positive energy and things like that so you have to be careful with the back rubs you have to ask first so. mm-hmm. right yeah because you can't heal somebody that doesn't want to be healed right yeah was, was there a specific instance where you you felt like it, it like you were really helping somebody out like was there something very prevalent that came out that's like this is the reason why I do this yeah so this is this is years ago I was doing an internship um because initially when I was doing this I was very like unsure about what I was going to do and um when I was at an internship I was in a you know a I was in a uh, room for special education kids. There was like four in there. It was just an all-day inclusion. You know, they didn't go out. They didn't see other people. And while I was in there, and I was just there to observe. That was like my role. And so I was sitting there, and I was taking my notes. And one of the little boys who was diagnosed with autism, like, got up, and he started to, like, scrunch his face up. And, like, you can see it, like, a mile away. Like, the tantrum was coming, Mm -hmm. right? And I was like, I don't know what to do with this tantrum. And he ran over to me and he put his hands on me. He's like, I need squeezes, like, please help me. And so I remember like, you know, putting my hands on his shoulders and I was giving him squeezes and I was calming him down and I was trying to like help him like calm down too. And I remember watching his face like melt and it went from being anxious and like very upset to like kind of calm and neutral. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was kind of when I knew that that was what I wanted to do. And for a while I worked at a special charter school. And it was that school was actually really rough because it's a restraint school. Mm-hmm. So these are the kids that have like full out like physical, you know, we have to hold them down to the ground. And oh. so, yeah, it's rough. Yeah, we literally had mats in the hallway to throw down so we could like put the kids on the ground if we had to. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was actually really proud because, um, you know, one of the things that I was still doing, you know, that kind of help and that kind of, you know, uh, I don't want to say physical touching. They just call it like a uh, pressure therapy. That's what they mm-hmm. call it. That's mm-hmm. the official term. Um, but I was still doing that with the kids that I had in my room and my outbreaks were way smaller, you know, Mm -hmm. and some of the kids made a lot more progress towards like the goals that they needed to be like behavior wise, because uh, unfortunately in situations like that, people don't really care about what's causing it or how to fix it. They're just responding to the hurt that's happening. Right. So, so you know, kids that are having tantrums, nobody's trying to figure out why they're having the tantrum. How do we fix the tantrum? How do we help them cope through the tantrum? All that. So. That was what I spent a lot of time doing. So one kid that and that came in having two tantrum tantrums a week only had one like once a month. 
oh, wow. at the end of the year. Yeah. And one, and I'm not even counting one of those because it was a sympathy tantrum. Somebody in the room was having a tantrum. He thought they needed a friend, so he had a tantrum too. Like, that was literally it. <laughs> I, I like that phrase, sympathy tantrum. Yes, he had a sympathy tantrum. I'm going to have to use that yes. at some point. I'm going to have to do that at some point. Very empathic. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I even asked him. I was like, why did you have your tantrum? He's like, I didn't want him to be alone in the hallway. <laughs> Oh, okay. I mean, that's yeah. That's actually pretty cool that, yeah. that that he that he was able to recognize that, and I mean maybe it is something that that other kid needed was just the just, just the fact that somebody else was there. Yeah, and it's it's really interesting because if you have if you so like so I work a lot with autism, right? And a lot of things that people don't realize is like so for you, for example, you and I, we have filters for our emotions, right? We build them up over time. People with autism do not have filters, mm-hmm. so when they experience something, it is raw. And it hurts sometimes. And they don't and they don't know how to build filters. And a lot of times they don't. They just figure out how to properly respond to whatever they're having at the moment. So so do you consider your practice a religion or your belief system a, a religion or just a spiritual it's, practice? It's really hard to define it as a religion. Because one of the problems that comes with um, Druidism and shamanism is that a lot of the history and a lot of the information that we have on it is all speculative. Like, right. we're, we're not totally sure. You know, ancient times, Romans came in, they couldn't get people to respond appropriately, so they destroyed their culture in order to assimilate them into theirs. Like, that was pretty much what happened. Which is why you see a lot of people who say that they're Druids and drastically different. So, nobody really knows. I mean, we know that they were there, we know about these three things, and we know that when they all decided to get together and force the Romans out, they did it. Like, that's pretty much all we know. Shamanism, I think we know a little bit more about because that's still a very uh, prevalent religion that's today. you got it up in Russia. You've got it especially in Mongolia. That's the national religion over there. Um, and you can see those practices. Druidism, like I said, it's a little harder. There's a there's a nice man out in uh, England who actually runs the, uh, the, the Druid, I don't want to call it the guild, but the association um and he's a very humble guy <laughs> like he's super humble like he just like he just decided to run it and he's got like all the materials like in his garage and like and he mails them out whenever you know people ask for them and things like that he's very sweet he actually if you see his picture he looks like um a hobbit <laughs> <laughs> nice yeah but yeah i think the one of the reasons i actually really like him is he has a very practical and a very like evidence-based explanation for why things happen he's got Mm -hmm. like he literally has like a bachelor's degree in this so it's not like he's coming in with like i feel this way he's kind of like well based on this this and this we're gonna do it that way Mm -hmm. so which you know for me i think that's that's really important because a lot of times we come into religion with like strong feels and no way to define the feels Mm -hmm. right yeah and so you get a little get some fantastics everywhere. You, get, you you get you you could get lost in the emotion of it if you don't have the the te- the actual learnings behind it. Yeah, yeah, so like for example cuz I know a lot of times when people talk about crazy people and paganism, they always can immediately picture it, but I ran into a crazy Christian who thought she was a prophet, so she would have like, you know, visions about things and said that they always happened. And I was like, I don't think you should say that cuz according to your religion, you're a witch and you should be burned. So yeah. I'm just saying, friend. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's like, no, I have the site. I'm like, okay, that's nice. Even her friends were giving her a funny look. <laughs> so other than your one-on-one teaching, did you take a um, specific course or what kind of courses do you suggest to people who are interested? Uh, that That's a great question. I don't have an answer for that. Um, <laughs> and the reason I don't have an answer for that is, again, is because a lot of this is speculative. Right. If you remember... I mean, minor history lesson here. Uh, you know, paganism really didn't come right back until like the 1940s when somebody published a book on it. Right. And then when that started to gain a pro, you know, 
popularity in the 70s because women empowerment was coming through. They found this religion with a female goddess and they were all like flocking to it at that point. And they were trying to define it and themselves at the same time through identity and cultural identity and society and all that other stuff. And then as we continued to go on, you had some people that came in that were literally spinning BS into the entire thing. Like Riven Wolf. I can't remember her name right now. But Raven she, Silverwolf. Yeah, Raven mm. Silverwolf. Don't even get me started or on her. She, Silver Raven Wolf. Silver Raven Wolf. Is that yeah. her name? Yeah. Yeah, don't get me started on her. Um, like, if you have to write a book about how to write love spells, then you're obviously a hack. Like, that's what it comes down to. Like, energy and focus should never be, fo- you know, should never be used in a way to manipulate the affections or will of another person into a way that you desire. Like, that's not, mm-hmm. that's not right. But unfortunately, she came out with those books. Those sold. Publishers like to sell with cells. And mm-hmm. so they had ended up spending a lot more. And now you've got a very, like, convoluted thing going on. Uh, my sister, who's like, oh, gosh, she's like 16 years younger than me. Yeah, she's 16 years younger than me. She has no idea how any of this works. Like, she had, like, a tarot card deck, and she was just spinning cards. Like, you know, am I going to have a good day today? I was like, baby, it don't work that way. <laughs> it don't <laughs> work that way. No, not yeah. at all. But, again, back to your question about, like, you know, is there any way that you can learn, you know, in this situation? Because there is no definite doctrine. You have to go and talk to people. And that's honestly what I ended up doing. You know, I met people, I, you know, like I said, I got, like, I went to the coven when I was eight, I got some education there, and then I spent a lot of time reading books, looking at history, all that, and then, of course, I met my mentor that was meant to be, and then he guided me for a while, and then after that, it's just, it's just been like that, so you you're going to have to go out and meet people because uh, this, and especially with this kind of religion, because it's very word of mouth. Even the shamans mm-hmm. out in Mongolia don't have a written doctrine. It's all about, you know, mentor teaching and things like that. Mm-hmm. So it's not, you know, here's a book, figure it out. There's a test on page five. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. <laughs> yeah, no. It'd be so much easier though. Yeah, it well, would be. What would you consider the main differences between Druidism and Wicca or Druidry? Druid. And which one do you prefer? <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a really good question because they technically do fall into each other. Uh-huh. Um, I know a lot of times when people think about Wicca, it's it's more towards like feminine empowerment, mm-hmm. where Druidry is all about kind of like a central balance and channeling the different aspects of who you are and through nature. So more nature-based, feminine empowerment-based. That's kind of like the big difference between the two, if I had to define it like that. However, they do all still follow a lot of common laws, like most other religions do, like, you know, not harming others, positive, you know, give back more than you give in. Um, there's a, I can't remember their name. Um, they're the they're the big association here out in America, but one of the things that they actually require from the people that practice Druidry within their association is they have to go and do community service. They're all about, like, giving out and helping others and, and all that. Where the one that's stationed out in England, not so much. You're just kind of like, cool, you're a druid. So, so like, out, out here, there's not really a, um, a set, set way to get into it. No, literally, like, so, so the groups that I've met out here have been kind of, honestly, I've been through meetup, right? Mm-hmm. They've all been through meetups. Like, let's all get together and let's have a conversation. And the groups there are kind of defined by who's leading it. So I went to one group and... Just, just for the people that are listening, I am not a foo-foo person. Like, I am not. <laughs> and so when I went to this one group, it was nothing about, like, it was, we spent, like, the first half hour, like, sharing sharing a little bit about ourselves in order to, you know, create, like, the circle of unity. And I'm kind of like, okay, well, you know, I can kind of work with that. Except for 20 minutes of that was spent with, uh, like, 19-year-olds having, like, some weird Catholic confession about how they couldn't tell their parents they were pagan and, and all this other stuff. And I was just like, you know, that's not what we're here for. Right, right. You know, we're... 
you know, that I, and part of me, like, I wanted to say, like, you know, that's a personal problem, and I get that you're sharing your pain with us, but, like, that's not... When that, that, that's not the reason for this, this part, part of this circle, circle. right now. Yeah. Right. Yeah, so... I, I, I understand that. I mean, I, I kind of... I don't know. Sometimes I feel like I, I want to do that dump, mm-hmm. like you know, like just just let it all out. But then I know that I, that I realize, okay, this is this isn't just about me. This mm-hmm. is about everybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, and uh, my mentor, my mentor, unfortunately passed away a couple years ago. Um, mm-hmm. But when he was still up and running, he wanted to run kind of like an educational one, right? He mm-hmm. wanted people to come in, and we wanted to talk about things. Like, we, we would talk about divination, or we would talk about, like, how, you know, uh, Celtic myth uh, symbology and history. I was the history person. Like, people would come in, I'd be like, oh, that's from this and that and that and that and that and that. So, because I have to have my facts straight, right? Right. right. Yeah. <laughs> but I, I don't think there's a lot of kind of, like, you know, this is Wicca, or this is Druidism, and or this is New Age stuff. Let's talk about it. You know, there's not a lot of those groups out there, unfortunately. And I really wish that there were. So if I had time, I would definitely run it, but uh, I don't have time. So no, yeah, well, maybe, uh, maybe there'll be somebody out there listening that might have the time to be able to put do something it, together. Do it now. Because <laughs> I mean, it, it would be kind of interesting because I know that there's a lot of people who, uh, who have, at least in, in my circles, who have talked about Druidry and, and their, their want to learn more about it, but mm-hmm. they don't have the proper resources to go out and actually, you know, talk to people because they can't mm-hmm. find anybody. Yeah, I know. I've met with a couple of people um, that have just had, like, basic questions. And I'm like, I will meet with you at X location. If you buy me a latte, I'll tell you whatever you want to know. So, you know, I've done that before. Coffee bartering. Yeah. Yes. Best kind of bartering. I just need coffee. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I usually, like, like I, I came here with, like, a little crate of, like, reference books. And I usually go there with, like, a little crate of reference books, too. So that way, if they want to buy the books and read them themselves, they can. Mm-hmm. So... So what are some of the books that you brought to suggest to people for Druidry or for shamanism? Okay, so I brought I brought a, diff- a couple of different books because whenever you have a tarot card deck, it always comes with a book and every book is different because every artist that does the that does the uh, the, the symbolism is different too. Mm-hmm. Um, and y- one, I think one of the interesting things is that um, if you're a tarot card reader, you always latch on to like the meaning of the cards and not the cards themselves. So like I did a tarot card reading for somebody and I was like, okay, this card means this. She's like, well, actually the card means this. And I was like, it's my deck. Yeah. <laughs> I'm reading it. me for reading. <laughs> yeah. Um, but so I brought, I brought, t- actually I brought a couple of books, but the two big books I brought were for the decks that I usually go to. And the first one is the Druid Craft Tarot. And that's because, obviously, that's that's the main uh, deck that I usually use. And it's a really good book because it shows the cards. And then the other thing is it's got keywords in case you just need, like, a quick refresher. And then it goes into, like, the full representation of that as well. So I, I really like that. And it's a really good deck as well. Um, you know, all the meanings there, it's very detailed. And there's a lot of symbolism that will usually, like, reach out and grab you if the meaning needs to. Mm-hmm. So that's one. And then the other one I brought is the, the Druid Animal Oracle, and that based more on uh, basically animal meanings, symbolisms, and things like that. So here on this picture, page that I'm showing you, it's got like the raven, but it's not just a raven. You know, you've got trees in the background, you've got roots underground, you've got a mountain, stormy weather, leaves, like you've got a lot that can speak to you if it needs to. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Figure out what's really calling to you for that card. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I brought these two particular decks because this one's obviously the more traditional one, right? You know, it's got your 80 was 84 cards in there the druidry craft tarot yeah Mm -hmm. so that's got the 84 where the animal druidry book does not have nearly that much it's a much smaller deck right so but it's more animal based so if you 
like if you're more prone to like understand like the different meanings behind animal symbols and things like that that's obviously the deck for you versus if you want the traditional one as well so right which one do you feel more attuned to um it really depends like so when i went to go do the reading for my friend i actually brought the druid tarot um, one with me instead instead of the animal oracle um usually what happens is when i used to do tarot card readings is like i would like have like a moment to sit and think about which deck do i need to bring this Mm -hmm. one or this one and then i would grab it on the way out so so it just depends on what needs to be done at the time so do you have any animal totems that you work with yeah actually i do i work with the octopus mostly yeah i've got tattooed right here on my arm that is Um, awesome yeah so i've got this one um i ended Mm -hmm. up getting the octopus because when i was doing um like a drum meditation there's a type of meditation it's called the disembodiment and basically what happens is you go to your totem and you know just say like i don't feel good something's not right help me and so in that i don't mind sharing this by the way um in that particular vision like i was walking around i'd never met my totem before either so i'm like what's it gonna be like i have no idea right (laughs) um and so i was in there and i was walking around trying to figure out and then i tripped on something and i fell into what i thought was a puddle and it was like this giant like thing and next thing i know tentacles are coming out and slapping me around and breaking me apart <laughs> oh yeah i'm gonna find what's buried yeah. deep in here that's yeah. broken yeah and that's what happens with this embodiment like one person said that she fell into a fire and she burned up and then like the totem animal came over and like scooped it back into like her shape and things like that it's kind of similar like you know i'm like floating in the water and it, like put me back together and all the parts that didn't need to be there were left in her so mm-hmm. that's pretty cool yeah that's really so neat. yeah it's it's good um i don't do it like i think i only would recommend that if you're like in an extreme like hurt place mm-hmm. and you're ready to move on right because mm-hmm. it doesn't really do a lot of good to go there if you're not ready to move on because if the desire is not there then yeah you can't you can't make that stuff so a lot of people make the mistake of going there while they're still hurting but they're not ready to let go of the pain so the totem is just kind of sitting there like what do you want me to do about it like <laughs> mm-hmm. you're so not I ready I can break you apart and put you together a million times but if you're not willing to let it go no. then it's yeah it's then, then we're just playing puzzle pieces here. Yeah. So, yeah. So I work. Um, I work mostly with um, the octopus, um, mm-hmm. which is good because it that has to do kind of with like you know that does have to do with mythology and the depths and understanding hidden secrets and things like that. So there's that. I also work with uh, ravens as mm-hmm. well, and I always get like. It's funny because when I moved to my current site, we didn't have any ravens out there. And by the end of the year, like two ravens had moved out there. So I was just always watching them. Like, what do you want from me? <laughs> what? Yeah. So. Like, what? Tell me. Tell me. Hey, what do you want? But that makes sense when you have the Morgans. Yeah. yeah. So is tarot your preferred form of divination? For others, yeah. For myself, I usually, I know it sounds weird, uh, I usually just stick with meditation if it's for myself, mm-hmm. because if I need to figure it out, then I need to, to do meditation. And the, the reason for that is because if, you, I mean, it's kind of like an unspoken rule, you never do tarot card readings for yourself, like you never do, because the meanings will be convoluted, you won't understand it, and then what you're trying, what you're supposed to get is not what you're actually understanding, so. You're getting what you want, not what you need. Yeah, so. It's better to get somebody else to come in and do the readings, but, like, if I need to figure it out, like I said, I've got, like, my drum meditation, I've got yoga, I've got all that stuff, so that's what I do. Well, I think we're going to take a quick break. Our listeners won't know the difference, but we're going to do our normal water, bathroom, and all that other stuff. All right, yeah, we will be right back. All right, and we are back with uh, with Carol. I said that right this time, right? Yes, you did. Okay, just want to make sure. Um, so I know that you were brought to Autumn's attention through a friend 
who actually showed her some uh, artwork that you've done for some tarot cards. Mm-hmm. Why don't you go ahead and just tell us what, what, what you've done and kind of like the, the process of creating artwork for a tarot card. Yeah, um, I've only done a couple of cards right now because these cards are kind of based off of characters from the stories that I write, which, you know, for me, I think it allows me to kind of give them more depth because I understand the characters and the backgrounds and things like that. Um, But I still want to kind of like honor like the tradition of the tarot cards themselves. And so a lot of things that I do is I'll go and research the card and I will go look at other cards to see what common themes that they have before going and putting in my own. So, uh, for example, I kind of brought one that I drafted. Um, and this is, again, this is from a character and this is going to be like the strength card. And before I started working on it, uh, one of the things I kind of did kind of in the background is I wrote some of the major themes that come with it. So for strength, for example, that represents a lot of feminine strength. Uh, there's a huge nature element. It's kind of ego versus intuitive and it, there's a lot of uh, discipline involved. But when I go and I look at a lot of these cards, it's always like it's a woman with like a male lion and that always throws me off a little bit mm-hmm. because if it's about feminine empowerment, why are we using a male lion? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so in the card that I did, I've got like, you know, the chick, she looks very disciplined. She looks very in control and we've got like the, you know, the female lioness in the background along with the nature uh, to be seen. So I'm kind of trying to honor all of that. Uh, more than likely, I'm probably going to add to that a little bit because, uh, like I said, this is just a sketch to kind of give me like an idea of where I'm going with it. Uh, usually my additional symbolism kind of comes in like above the name or like up here in the top where you get, of course, they can't see um, on the top and the bottom of the card. Like if so, if there's a particular symbol that's always prevalent in the tarot cards, I always make sure to put that in. So, for example, like here on the hermit card, first off, it doesn't look anything like a hermit at first glance because it's based off of something completely off. But one of the things that the hermit always has in the tarot card is a lantern. So in the card itself, I have a lantern on the top and bottom to still honor that. Mm-hmm. And the hermit, again, is always about, you know, is always about knowledge, about self, you know, discovery, things like that. So that's, if you look in the background, I've got like a lot of books, like lots and lots of books. And you can tell by looking at the picture that there are more books somewhere off in the corner mm-hmm. so you know those are just things i try to keep in mind um a lot of times just like for the hermit because i'm gonna harp on that one uh every time somebody has a hermit they've always got him in like this like you know hooded thing and he's mm-hmm. like walking around in the dark and things like that but he's supposed to be like the scholar and the knower of knowledge and all this other stuff so i wanted to kind of move away from that and more towards uh this and again it doesn't make sense at first because, like I said, these are kind of based off of characters from the story that I'm writing. Um, but if you actually read it and you encounter this character like in Chapter 2, it totally makes sense once you mm-hmm. kind of figure out a little bit more about him. And one of the things that ended up happening with this deck is uh, it actually started with uh, the Queen of Swords. So there's like a scene in the book where somebody uh, gives this this character in particular a card and she's like, why did you put me in a tarot card, right? And, you know, one of the things I like to do is I like to share my art occasion on Facebook because, you know, I like to get like head pats from people like oh that looks so nice and I'm like yay I feel well, got you here yeah yeah um I like to do that and then uh, the mutual friend actually was just kind of like you need to do more cards and I was like sure why not and so I started doing more cards and then I kind of got in my brain that I was going to use the cards as illustrations in the book so mm-hmm. kind of like when new characters arrive I throw them in there so for example you see this character in that one you see this one uh when it arrives so on and so forth Uh, One of the problems I ran into, though, (laughs) is that I don't have enough characters for all of those stuff. So uh, some of the things that I ended up doing, for example, so like this is a scene 
this is the tower, and this is a scene that takes place at some part during, uh, you know, one of the stories that I write. And again, the tower is all about abrupt change and, like, kind of, like, you know, bad times coming and things like that. So I was trying to keep that in mind along with everything else. But yeah, so that's, I think that's the difficult part about trying to do trying to make my own tarot card like this because I don't have enough characters. So that's why I ended up also making another story. Cause I was like, I'll just pull them from both and that'll be great. I, I like I like that concept about uh, uh, like depicting scenes and stuff in the story with the, with the tarot cards as mm-hmm. well. I, that's actually something I, I don't, I personally don't think I've ever seen before. So I, that's, that's actually very, very innovative. So you do plan on making a full deck? Would... Yeah, I do. I do want to, I mean, the mutual friend kind of inspired me too. And I am a huge fan of like having some kind of art project. I probably would have had a lot more done, but of course May for teachers is like our most chaotic month of the year. Mm -hmm. So, you know, getting all the paperwork squared, grades, everything else like that. So I didn't have time to actually focus on getting them done. But now that school's been out, I've been kind of working on a little bit more. I'm trying to do like roughly one a day. Mm -hmm. They're not like full fleshed out cards. These are kind of like this. This is honestly a draft. Like I haven't gone through and finalized like the line art anything i just kind of put it in enough to give it like to flesh it out and then when i want to i'm kind of wanting to maybe make the deck or make it in singular posters right because a lot of times people are like drawn to one particular card so for example i like the strength card right that's Mm. that's my card and i don't want to buy a huge deck just to have that one card if i could get it as a sticker or a poster that's probably what i would do so that's pretty cool yeah and there's a you can actually do that if anybody's listening and they are actually doing this there's a, a couple of places that are print on demand where you can print you know you put the poster up there they obviously get a cut of whatever you make but people can buy the sticker or the poster and make it whatever size they want the only thing that the seller needs to keep in mind is the resolution on the picture so if your resolution is not very big your picture when it comes out to print won't be big either or you have to worry about distortion and the last thing you want is bad picture quality yeah right so the deck when are you planning on publishing your book yeah so i'm trying um i'm I'm waiting for it to come back from because Ugh, I'm terrible at this process. Um, I sent it to an editor last year, mm-hmm. context editor. She looked at it. She made her comment. She sent it back. I went through, made changes. I sent it to my critique partner. She's reading it, and then she's going to send it back. And then I'm going to have a couple beta readers read it. And then my hope is to send it out to the book formatter in September mm-hmm. so I can have it come out in December. That's the hope. Crossing fingers here. So. Do you have a publishing house that's doing that? or No. And the, so what I'm doing is I'm actually going to self-publish. And the whole reason I want to self-publish is because of uh, the themes of the book and the creative license that goes with the book. Mm-hmm. So if you actually look out of a lot of urban fantasy books that come out, there a lot of them actually end up getting changed because uh, publishers and editors of publishers always change the book to mar- market it towards what's going to sell. Right. Mm-hmm. And the one thing that I really don't want to happen to my work is I don't want the theme to be changed from what it is. So uh, a lot of what I'm doing kind of has to do with, you know, paganism, you know, druidic roots and things like that. And I don't want to go and take, you know, a, a certain deity and sexualize him because that's going to sell the book. Like, I'm not okay with that. Right. Right. And I know that's exactly what would happen. Like, I just finished reading uh, One Urban Fantasy, and it was about shamanism. So that was, I didn't even know it until I picked up the book because I do blind pickups sometimes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's what I do. Um, but they had uh, Kurnoso in the book, and he was just like, you know, the ultimate sex pot walking around. It just like kept pissing me off. Like, every time he would like walk into the scene, like, I can't take this. <laughs> right. Do you want to give a synopsis or a little teaser about your book? 
Um, yeah, so my, my urban fantasy book is kind of set in modern day. It has to follow uh, a character who goes by the name of Ghost uh, and some of the antics that she goes on. She is a servant at the Well of Knowledge, which is based mm-hmm. on North mythology. And she usually has, her main job is making sure that the well is taken care of. Unfortunately, that job doesn't pay and the well is very high maintenance. So she has to do side jobs in order to make sure that the tiles on the roof are done. She's got to pay taxes, go milk shopping, all that other stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, but one of the jobs that she has that brings in the most income is working as what they call an enforcer. So basically within the supernatural community, these are the people that kind of arrive and say, whatever you're doing, stop it. So mm-hmm. that's what she does. But she ends up picking up this task to kill somebody and it just doesn't smell right. So along with that, the Morgan comes and says, here, I need you to take care of my avatar. And then all of a sudden, like missing mythics who are the, the urban fantasy, because there's humans and then there's the mythics. Mm-hmm. So mythics are going missing. She's got this avatar to take care of. And then she's still got to figure out like this, this job that doesn't smell right. And finding out like how it all ties together and all that. It's kind of... The, I really wanted to write this story uh, for a lot of different reasons. One... Uh, I don't see a lot of stories based on this. Uh, the female protagonist that I have in particular, I don't really have her as a, I don't want to call it a girly girl. Uh, I, like I had one, I had one beta reader come back to me and said, you know, your character doesn't talk the way that women talk. And I was like, well, how do women talk? Right? Like, how are we supposed to talk? And so if you go and read a lot of romance novels or you read urban fantasy and they start female protagonists, it's, it's, it's all about like feminine empowerment and how can we be a badass and a girl at the same time and things like that. And my character kind of forego the the feminine empowerment for this, you know, for the sake of getting the job done. She's like, yeah, I am a woman, but that's not part of what I do right now. And uh, how much of the the book would you say is uh, based on personal experiences? Probably like maybe ten percent. Okay. Like, yeah, I mean, again, it is it is still fiction, it is still fantasy and stuff like that. I think most of the real life application comes in the form of. Uh, a character named David who's a prior Marine. I'm prior military. So, like, his reactions and his responses are kind of mine. But, you know, unless you're talking about, like, from a spiritual standpoint. Oh. I mean, that too. Uh, you know, there's certain things that I that I have that I've put in here. So, for example, the Morgan is in this book, but she's not depicted as a singular person. She's depicted as three sisters that live together. You know, a young... It's almost like the fates from Norse mythology. But mm-hmm. if you go and you look at the really early stuff that you can find on the Morgan. She was three people and she was almost kind of like a Valkyrie character. You know, battles would come, she would go, say who was going to die, pick up those ones. And then on top of that, the Morgan wears so many hats too. You know, she's the, she's the goddess of King. She's the goddess of war. And she's the, the chooser of the slaying. Like that's a lot of hats to wear for one person. Right. So it made a lot more sense when I found that earlier depiction where it was three people because I was like, I could see three sisters being seen as one person. Uh And that happens a lot, too. So there are things in there like that. I also have, it's not really a huge spoiler because it kind of comes at the end, but I have Loki in there, too. And I kind of have, I want to say, my uh, my perception about... like Loki's situation because if you go and look in uh, all the North mythology you know he went he pissed off all the gods by doing the thing that he did got tied mm-hmm. to a boulder by his son's you know guts and got venom like tossed on his face right? right but if you actually go and you look at the reason why he did it Odin came and took his three children away locked them up right mm-hmm. and then uh, told him he wasn't allowed to go see his wife of those three children and i would be disgruntled as all get out if that happened to me too mm-hmm. um not to mention some of the other things that happen so for example every th- time something goes wrong it's like loki go fix it and he's like i didn't cause it it's like doesn't matter go fix it 
So, you know, there's a lot of that coming into play, too. So Okay. So we're, we're, so we're shooting for December, hopefully. I'm shooting, yes. I'm trying really Do you cool. have a title or a working title? <laughs> um, it is, uh, for right now, it's called Dreamer's Touch. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's called Dreamer's Touch, and it's the Ghost Walker Chronicles. So I have more than one book planned out for this. Yay. Yeah. That sounds exciting. Yeah. So what do you normally draw outside of stuff for your book or sacred stuff? You know, so I'm a huge gamer, I'm not going to lie, and I play a lot of uh, MMORPGs, mm-hmm. and I usually do a lot of uh, friend art, if that makes sense. So my friends have a character, we mm-hmm. role play together, I draw their character for them. I do right. a lot of friend art. Um, That's cool. Yeah. And it just, you know, it makes them feel good, and it helps flesh out their characters and things like that. Um, I have done a couple sassy pictures uh, for my friends. So, uh, for example, one of my friends was getting into a fight with somebody, and they said, you can't tell the difference between champagne and, you know, a glass of piss. So she had me draw her character in a glass of champagne. (laughs) (laughs) You know, so I do do some things like that. the one thing that I do that I actually do commission art for is I have parents that come to me that want to have their kid as a superhero on a cover. So I do I do some of that as well. Uh, so far it's been for one of my family members, but like she came to me and she's like, you know, my son really wants to be the Hulk. You know, can you draw him as the Hulk? And so I drew him as the Hulk and, you know, it was called Cam Hulk and things like that. And uh, his sister wanted to be on a cover, but she didn't want to be a superhero. And so I was like, well, what does she like doing? She's like, well, she likes gymnastics. And so I had Gymnastic Girl. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. That's neat. So. I like that. And uh, where, uh, where online can we find, uh, find your artwork if, uh, if we want to look it up? Um, I'm on DeviantArt. That's yeah. where my huge portfolio is. So you can find all the work I do for gaming, uh, all my kind of my comic ideas, uh, and just about any miscellaneous thing. I have... Uh, just a little bit of everything uh all my artwork from i think like 10 years ago has been taken down though because obviously as you progress as an artist you don't want people to see your terrible stick figures from that time right yeah so i don't have any of that on there um but if for example somebody liked it i always tell them if you like what's here let me know because i have what they call a red bubble account and on the red bubble account you can that's your print on demand so they can go there and buy it and i don't ask for a lot in return like i literally just sold my first piece today i was so excited that's cool <laughs> and i got 21 cents oh <laughs> hey but but some, but you made somebody happy i did yeah, yeah. So that's so. good a lot of times people say I'm not in it for the money. I'm really not in it for the money. The money's kind of a benefit. I just kind of want to share the art. Mm-hmm. And networking, unfortunately, is really hard for me um, because I don't have, I mean, like I said, I teach, I coach, I'm in grad school. I don't have the time to go play the, the networking, you mm-hmm. know, contest game that a lot of other artists have that time for. So it's mm-hmm. a little difficult for me to do that. So other kind of projects do you do? Um, I saw on your personal website a couple of things that you do other than art and write. So one of the things I like to do is I like to make YouTube videos. Mm-hmm. Um, I like to make YouTube videos for the roleplay community because uh, a lot of time roleplay is very subjective based on the game and based on the group and everybody's got their own idea about how things go. So a lot of the videos that I have are kind of like very like universal kind of unspoken rules that nobody really wants to talk about. Uh, and I find I always knew that people find it a lot easier to watch a five minute YouTube clip video than to read like eight paragraphs about something, mm-hmm. especially since you can have it up in the background yeah. while you do something else. And that's usually I mean, that's just the age that we live in. Like we're we're an age of multitaskers. Right. So it's like mm-hmm. listen to this while doing something else. Like that's just how it is. Um, I've done. Let's see. 
I've done like kind of like the intro to role play. I've done the different types of role play. I've done the stereotypical role players, like the immersive role players, like make me laugh like nobody's business because they're like, how dare you try to arrange things? Oh, see, I'm like, get over yourself. Like, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I also talk about like I, I the first few videos and my my spouse actually warned me against this, but I was talking about the drama with role play. Mm-hmm. I was like, this is the drama with role play. This is what you watch out for. This is how you avoid it. And so like I did that first because nobody really wants to talk about like you know the the spouse wars or about you know the victimizers that go around and destroy you know the character of another person. And mm-hmm. when I mean character, I don't mean like the digital character. I mean like. Uh, the personality character, like you, you as a person, like, mm-hmm. yeah, because that happens a lot online. If somebody doesn't like you, they kind of like try to destroy you as a person in order to vindicate themselves or to garner others to their side, which is really annoying. But yeah, right. It's just the world we live in now. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's actually, um, it's actually a tactic that's used in uh, female bullying because when uh, women decide to go after another woman, mm-hmm. they they'll do it online. Mm-hmm. That's why cyberbullying is a lot more uh, prevalent online for women because they can do it without being directly in their faces. Right. Where men will actually go and like you know say whatever they want to somebody's face, and if they don't like it, they'll fight about it. When they're done fighting, they'll go have a beer and get over it. So yeah, yeah. I right. mean that it's yeah, it's true. Yeah, instead of stewing about it for years and eons, yeah. Hold, yeah. and holding the grudge. Right. They're dead. I still hate them. <laughs> oh. Yes. I don't know, there's, there's a few grudges that I still have that I've been trying to release, but... I'm sorry, not, okay? Not you. <laughs> <laughs> Just had to make sure. No, no. I don't, oh, have, okay. I don't, I don't have a grudge on on you, don't worry. Yay, no curses. No. I already, already, already <laughs> threw away that voodoo doll. Wait. Total, totally kidding. Okay. <laughs> totally kidding. Nervous for a second there. <laughs> I check all your hair. Yeah, really. Mm. Got some unwaxed candles around here. Oh. Do you DM or GM a lot or what kind of inspired wanting to give that kind of education to people about how to role play, role play better? Um, honestly, it was a lot of frustration that mm. I was having with the role play community because um, I've been in the same guild for with the same group of people for probably like since 2012. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not bad people, but they're unfortunately not very noob friendly. You know, new people come in and they don't know the ropes and, you know, they always advertise themselves as like, we're not new people friendly. Like we're not here to teach you how to role play and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know like a lot of people when they first start off end up getting really bad experiences because they really don't know the ins and outs and they don't really know who to talk to either. And you've got the people who are too proud to ask for help. Like, you know, I was like, you know, can you tell me how to do this like how do I emo like it, it really takes a certain kind of person to be willing to kind of like say I don't know and a lot of people and I like I said I work as a school teacher I work with kids they never want to say I don't know they walk in and be like well I didn't get the first time so I must be stupid it's like no if you already knew it you wouldn't be here right now and they right. never they never get that Mm -hmm. Um, and so I was trying, my hope was to try and help take away like that, that wall, so to speak. So that way people could, um, you know, kind of figure it out and understand a lot more before walking into it. And the other thing is that I also wanted to, um, I guess want to take away like the negative, not negative perceptions, but the biased opinion about how role play actually works. Mm -hmm. Because, um, there's some people like, you know, I'm talking about like the immersive role players, right? Immersive role players don't want any OOC chatter. They don't want to plan anything. They just want it to happen when it happens and, you know, time and place for that. But if you get a new person who doesn't know how to role play and they don't know how to talk to people and they don't know the difference between OOC chat and not, and you put them with an immersive role play and they said, this is just how it is. They're not going to know any different. Right. Mm. Yeah. So it's better 
it's better to kind of give them some kind of context to work with. Um, and in some of the videos, I do talk about, like, you know, the proper way to, you know, write out descriptions, also known as emotes. So they right. call them emotes online. And, like, my, my favorite one is when somebody goes, like, he sits down. I'm like, well, you're already going to sit. Unless you're going to sit up against the wall, it's implied that you're going to go down. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's just stuff like that. Okay. Right. I actually think a lot of that kind of helps with the pagan community and when we're in circle or in group, because even if your true self or your spiritual self is supposedly your true self, it's still a character. It's still a mask you put on and being able to understand the differences between those, I think, is very important because obviously Jara and I aren't using our real names on our podcast. I'm Autumn and Autumn is completely different from my normal person as in autumn's a lot more out about paganism and her personal beliefs and whereas my other my mundane self is in in law enforcement type kind of position and she can't be out like that all the time yeah same with carol yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> as a teacher yes yeah can't yeah. ever talk about it no yeah i just recently split into two different facebooks and i don't know how to cope trying I, to figure that out like i wish we could talk about it a lot more like mm -hmm. this this whole thing and like especially in school so like it's i guess i guess i feel a lot more in this particular area because you know i got people that are from you know iraq i've got mm -hmm. them from africa you know you've got pagans you've got mormons you got them all in the same school but you know 90 percent of them aren't allowed to talk about because they don't go to seminary right <laughs> you mm -hmm. know and, that's, and then what are they supposed to do with that in an hour or so yeah so it's just, yeah, because, and then the other thing is, like, obviously, they don't call it, you know, Good Friday, but we have the spring holiday, right? Mm, That's what right. we call it. We have spring holiday. And I was joking around with my boss. I was like, do I get Beltine off? And he was like, what is Beltine? I was like, that's my religious holiday, friend. Right? Yeah. <laughs> and he was like, no, you don't get that off. Like, discrimination. But, you know, that doesn't hold up in court. So. Right. And yeah. that's the same way with me. It's like, I could take those holidays off, but then there's a lot of questions about why every three months you're asking off. A day yeah. to go do something, yeah. What, what are you doing? Yeah. It's, it's like personal dinner. time, friend. Personal time. Yes. Mm -hmm. Arizona yeah. State says that we can have mental health days. I have special mental health, health days, days. <laughs> registered it, out. It involves sage, okay? <laughs> yeah, I might come back smelling funny. Don't worry. I'll be really giddy and happy. You can drug test me. I'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> so um, you were talking about that you professionally read tarot for a while. Do you want to? Yeah, I did. So I had a friend of mine because he said that, you know, obviously it was my mentor too. He's like, you know, you're really good at it. Um, so I think you should you should go and, you know, try and do it professionally. And I, like I said, I tried to do it for a little while, but as I moved into education, like, mm -hmm. that that wasn't so much. And even if I went in with, as the name of Carol Brown, at some point, I'd probably run into a parent. Right. Yeah. At a restaurant or... Yeah, uh, and they would see it. And I even remember, because, like, I was doing volunteer work for a shelter, and they asked me to come in and do a seminar about nutrition. And I said, sure, yeah, I'll do that because I'm the care of many hats. I've done a lot of different things. Mm -hmm. um, so I came in, and while I introduced myself, the girl next to me is like, and she reads tarot cards. And I'm like, no, like, <laughs> like, and it, it feels so bad, you know, to say that if you if you get that introduced, like, that almost mm -hmm. discredits you. Yeah. 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 And that's, there's just a bad stigma with that, so. No, I, I agree. So have you had any bad or good experiences while reading or any disgruntled uh, customers? No, I haven't had a disgruntled customer. Um, I definitely had one where I said, you really should not go and do this thing. Like, this is a really bad idea. And she went and did it anyway. And mm -hmm. I was just like, I told you not to go do the thing. You know, 
And I think that was probably the only disgruntled moment I had about it. I don't even know what it was that she was wanting to do. I was like, this thing that you're planning on doing, you probably shouldn't do it. But that was like the only time. Uh, A good experience I had actually was, uh, I'm trying to think. They don't, I know it sounds really bad. It's, they had a, a shop on Etsy and it was like this, uh, this husband and wife duo and they would do uh, a meditation guidance thing. Mm-hmm. And then they would both go on their, their meditation journey and write about it and then put it into report and send it to you. And that I actually, when I remember reading, it, I remember getting like tingles in the front of my forehead. Mm-hmm. And that's usually how I know like something like I need to be paying attention to something because I always get like tingles in the front of my forehead. You know, it's like somebody's like poking me like you need to pay attention to this. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Po- poking the third eye. Yeah. Yeah. So and that was really good. And I was on Fort yeah, I went and checked on them. They closed down the store. I was like, no, you Aww. were legit. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> it might have been when that whole Etsy thing went down etsy's had like maybe two or three times where they've specifically gone and hunted for um pagan or wiccan or magical type shops and deleted them they're like you're giving um them a you're giving your customers intangible products or like so any candle that was like this is a love spell candle it's like you're promising uh, intangible products and it's like no i'm promising them a candle that I blessed with this thing and what they do with it. They, people aren't that stupid. Uh, Come on. Oh my God. That's so bad. Yeah. And it happened like two or three different times. That I, I bet I they sell crosses on Etsy. Oh yeah. No. Yeah, I bet and they sell crosses. Mm-hmm. Like they keep coming out with this new, um, like this is what we're okay with code of conduct type thing. And when they go and enforce it, like people have particularly said, well, you're not deleting this Christian candle that promises the same exact thing. That yeah. I like it's, yeah. the writing is almost exactly similar except for the religious connotation. Yeah. Or intention. I don't even know that was going on yeah. i didn't either there you like you just like a whole new world yeah <laughs> well I, I don't i don't shop too much on etsy anymore i i started to and then i had like one one bad uh encounter and i was like nah I'm not gonna Aww. shop on etsy anymore i yeah. think i go on there like once every six months mm-hmm. that's about it and every time i want something like i don't sell this anymore i was like then take it out of the store right mm-hmm. yeah the first time it happened my uh High Priestess does uh, Books of Shadows, and she, mm-hmm. like, will make them, and her site got shut down, and she's like, I'm sending people actually handmade leather-bound books, so yes, I'm giving them a tangible product with no magical backing, like, I don't even bless them, they're literally just bound books. Yeah. So. She might be better off going through uh, Ingram Spark then. Mm-hmm. I mean, I mean the, that's a print-on-demand, so she'd have to, like obviously format this oops, sorry she'd have to format the book and everything like that but mm-hmm. if she had ingram spark she could somebody could order it online and send it so that might be it wouldn't be leather bound at that point but it would still be the material that she's trying to share so. oh it's no it's like something you can write in for yourself oh so it's blank like, ones yeah it's like mm-hmm. a crafty oh just tell her to write it as a journal right yeah <laughs> that's literally what you'll have to do which is just stupid leather bound journal. journal yeah with the the goddess the- symbol on yes. the front well i think that we cover everything do you have any last said, words of wisdom you, or you said you wanted to go over the writing process or something like oh that? yeah sure if you want to share what what kind of um your process for writing or um so it kind of starts with like an idea mm-hmm. and then i'll see if the idea sticks in the back of my head for a little while um, and if I think it will, I'll write it on the card, and then I'll come back to it a little bit later. 
Uh, and then if it still feels like it's a solid idea, then I'll sit down and I'll start to outline it. Mm -hmm. And the outline can be anywhere from like a bullet point to uh, something more in depth. Uh, I recently actually, for the, the summer project I'm doing, I wrote like, it's a 16 page outline. But it pretty much just depicts everything that happens in every chapter. So I don't at any point go like, what happens now? You know, I never right. do that. Um, but th then again, I'm an outliner. I'm not a pantser. I don't write by the seat of my pants just because... I need to know what's happening. My time is precious. <laughs> mm -hmm. So, and then, but a lot of the things that, uh, so I'll go and I'll outline it, but some of the things I'll keep in mind are like character growth and development. You know, is this a character that changes throughout the course of the story? And if so, how do they change? Um, there's one book I read and they talked about, you know, what is the lie that your character believes? Right. So, for example, in like in Dreamer's Touch, uh, Ghost, her lie is things are, are fine like this. You know, that's her lie. That's the lie that she believes in. And so throughout the course of the story, that lie has to get challenged. Like, things are not okay like this. Things are not fine. And how she either accepts the truth, gets slapped by the truth, or, you know, changes because of the truth, so to speak. And that's that's something that you kind of need to have in a lot of your stories. Too many people will have a story where they'll be like, oh, well, you know, her lie is that she just thinks the good of everyone. I was like, no, that's not a lie. That's a character flaw. Yeah. <laughs> um. So, yeah, so you always have to keep that in mind. But the one thing I think that if you're new to writing and you're really looking at writing a story, the first character that you really need to flesh out is your villain. And your villain can't be a concept. Your villain has to actually be something physical, unfortunately. Because um, initially when I wrote Dreamer's Touch, my villain was not a physical, tangible thing. It was like it was just like a situation. And my editor came back and said, like, you can't do that. Like, it just, and the reason that it's like that for the first book is because if that could just be the only book, too. Mm -hmm. And so for the sake of the reader, they need to have some kind of closure. So your villain needs to be something tangible that can be defeated at some point. And your villain needs to be the most fleshed out character of all of your cast. Like, they have to be. The, the reason that we read the story isn't because of the hero. It's we're reading it because of how the hero responds to the villain. So... Think of it. Think of it like Thanos. Thanos was the most fleshed out character in that movie. Yeah. Yeah. I so. totally have to agree with that. Yeah. So yeah, think of it like that. So you have to do the villain, and then uh, a lot of times uh, when people also write stories, is they write static characters. So your characters are literally just standing in a room waiting for the the main character to show up, and then they'll do something, and the main character leaves, and they just go back to standing there. So you always mm -hmm. have to make sure that all your characters are always doing something, like they're always in motion and things like that. So. Okay. And life is happening around them. Yeah. So, and I, I unfortunately had a stagnant character. So I was like, I have to give him something to do. Oh, my God. <laughs> he stood in the corner and picked his nose. I was like, he can't just read. And it's like, no, he has to do something. It's like, what about setting the house on fire? <laughs> Can you do that? That's a thing, right? Well, then the house is on fire. And that's that a carries thing. Conflict. Yeah, yeah. That's, a, that's a conflict Ooh. for the rest of the characters. He was lighting his pipe, and a spark accidentally hit the curtains. I told you to stop smoking. <laughs> Why yeah. did you do that? Yeah. I didn't mean to. But yeah, so that that's kind of like, that's my process. Outline, villain, and main character, uh, character lie. And you don't have to have every character go through some character growth, but, you know, I'd say if you have three prevalent characters, they should probably all change throughout the course of the story. Or learn something. Yeah, change, develop. You know, today I learned. <laughs> How not to be a dick. Yeah. Today, yeah, I learned being an asshole doesn't give me everything. Oh, yeah. well, that, that's on the road to not being a dick. Yeah. <laughs> that's book one to not being a dick. Yeah. So is there any other advice you'd give a new writer or a new RPGer? 
Um, yeah. Or new druid new, or new, new anything uh, that we talked about. Uh, I'm trying to think about which one of those to start with. Um, yeah. Let's do writing since I just started writing, then I'll move okay. to druid. Um, if you're new to writing, you need to walk out, watch out for passive language. Mm-hmm. So you need... It, it, so especially if you're writing in past tense. So pa- passive language has to do with adverbs, L-Y words, uh, in conjunction with was, had, were, and is, be. Uh, if you have too many was, were, had, and that in there, that's going to slow down your writing. It's going to kind of make it convoluted. Mm-hmm. So keep in, you know, so like I wish I could give you an example, but I literally like purged all those words out of my thinking process. But if you write something and then just take a quick moment to read back and see how many times you use those words, even if you're writing in past tense, you should still try to reduce the the amount of those words as much as you can just because you want your writer to be engaged. And the moment your, or not your writer, but your reader, and Mm -hmm. the moment your reader puts down your book, maybe the maybe the only time that they looked at it. They may not pick it up. Um, for new druids, I would say that uh, before you go and you join any group or you do anything, you should probably actually take the time to go and research. It's, it always amazes me how many times I meet somebody that's either new to paganism or druidism or shamanism, and they don't even know their own history. It drives me absolutely bonkers. Mm-hmm. And I would say that for anybody of any religion. Like, how many times I've run into a Christian that doesn't even know their own religion is mind-boggling to me. Mm-hmm. Like, what's Sunday school for? You're not doing, you're not learning anything as far as I'm concerned. But, um, but like, for example, like, a lot of druids don't realize that, you know, one of the punishments that the old druids had is that they would take, like, a convicted criminal and throw them into the bog and let them die. Like, nobody really knows that. <laughs> It's like you, they have like a fantasy kind of like, you know, perfect rose heart colored vision about how the past was. And it's really not, you know, we, we did things, they weren't good things, but nobody's perfect. Like even, even the Buddhist at some point had like their own segregation, like, well, you're not Buddhist enough. You know, they've all had their moments. So, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that would be my first step. Like go do your, go do your research, go know the history. Uh, and then start going out and reaching out to the community and see if you can find somebody that's kind of in sync with you. I would probably try and avoid uh, what I call the knitting pickers. Uh, and the knitting pickers are the people that are kind of like, oh, I like to pick a little bit of this from religions and put it into my own. Which, when you say it, sounds kind of cool, but in practice it's actually insulting to all the other religions because it's like saying, I like this thing about your religion, but I refuse to follow your doctrine or your dogma or any of your practical beliefs. Because mm-hmm. Yeah, so... I would avoid working with those. I would probably stay with the people that are kind of like on that path and then get a defined idea because nick- picking knickers are going to like confuse you because then yeah. you won't know what's what. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of like right there at that point right now mm-hmm. where I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm finding different things from, from the different religions. Like, okay, let me take this, let me take this and see where this path leads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we'll see where we go from there. Yeah. But yeah. That would be my advice. <laughs> Sounds like great advice. I like it. So, events that are coming up in our community, uh, Jarrah's big birthday. Yeah. Do you want me to say the date or no? It's the 14th. Yeah. Yeah. So, Jarrah's getting older. Litha is going to be the 21st. Mm-hmm. And the next full moon is the 28th. For this episode, we want to thank our newest Patreon supporter, Cody. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Cody. And we, uh, if you're just questioning whether or not it's worth it to be a Patreon supporter of Millennial Pagan Podcast, we do give you some pretty good perks. Uh, once a month, we do a Patreon-exclusive 
mini episode. Yep. So that's about 30 extra minutes of us just talking that you get to listen to if you want to support us. Uh, we do have a dollar and a five dollar increment monthly. Obviously, you can just throw in what you want there at any time. It would really help us getting ready for Pagan Pride and other upcoming events. If you are only finding our links on Facebook or Twitter, our, you can listen to us on Podbean, iTunes, and SoundCloud. Very soon, we will be on Spotify. Yes, this should be uh, episode number five. So I'm going to go ahead and after this gets uploaded, I'm going to put in the request. Yay. So listen in for us. We'll hopefully be on Spotify by next episode. You can find our podcast on Patreon, Twitter, Facebook, and our email is millennialpeganpod at gmail.com. Please send us comments, questions, concerns. If you want to talk to us, talk on the pod, have something interesting to say to us or even Carol, you can go ahead and send us an email. And where can our listeners find you? Uh, they can find me, like I said, on DeviantArt. If they want to send me uh, an email, it's uh, browncaro at gmail. So B-R-O-W-N. C-A-R-R-O-W at gmail.com. And we'll have those links that she sent me up as well as two links for some more information on Druidry. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and WordPress. Of course, we'll all be in the show notes. Jara, where can our listeners find you? Uh, of course, I got my uh, my Twitter, uh, Jara uh, Stone, J-E-R-A-S-T-O-N-E. Well, Mary Meet. Mary Part. And, and Mary Meet, meet Again. again.